0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Exert Breakthrough Laboratory Podcast. Uh, We're super excited to to sit down and chat. Uh, It's been a while since we've had a chance to to get together for one of these podcasts, and and so I definitely have been rearing to go. Uh, As usual, I'm your host, Scott Steele, and I'm joined by Armando Mistracci.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Dr. Stephen Chung.
1: Hey,
2: everybody.
0: I know personally, I'm very, very excited about this one. Uh, uh, this episode, we're really going to be digging into the science. And uh, I mean, Armando and I and, and and Steven and I have been chatting about this one a lot uh, in anticipation of it. So uh, I think we've got a lot of content here and a lot of good discussion. And so I think uh, a lot of the customers that have been looking to us and asking us about the, the science in Exert, I think a lot of them are really going to enjoy enjoy today's discussion.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think um, we're all kind of geeks, you know, about the physiology, and you know, I've been uh, I've been quite the geek, and I'm sure a lot of the people who are using Exert are are kind of keen on all of the kind of details about how the physiology works and what's the what's the research and things like that. So hopefully, we'll be able to you know, keep this interesting for the non-geeks out there. I'm sure there'll be something for everybody uh, oh, yes. on, in this episode, but... We'll try um, and keep it tame. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and keep it a little more tame and relevant for everyone.
2: Yeah, and the key thing we'll try to do too is really bring it back to why kind of Exert is a very powerful system and how it can really help you to kind of understand everything from what is the nature of a... Of a kind of a particular interval workout, what is it actually stressing? Both the on efforts and also the recovery belts. You know, what's the difference if I have a 15-second you know, recovery during a Ronostat interval? What if I extended it to a minute? You know, what what is the impact of my overall system? So so I think exert is really unique in that it's really able to dig deep into it and show that there is a major impact both the intensity of your kind of interval efforts during your workouts and also the intensity and the duration of your recovery. So it really allows you to fine tune things. So hopefully we'll be able to bring it back to once we, as we dig into the science to be able to bring it back to, you know, how does it actually affect you as you are training?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, I know I've been uh, personally enjoying the last couple of weeks of riding. I I recently have, moved in Canada yet again Uh, but I'm your uh, fourth
2: move in two years right Scott Uh,
0: Uh yes that is the fourth move in two years and I decided that I don't want to own anything besides my bikes because it's too much to move so I just need to downsize as long as I can take my bikes with me I'm happy um well you're but, you're in a beautiful spot
1: yeah yeah you're burlington you know tucked right
0: up tucked right up against the escarpment i know beautiful
1: there well unfortunately every time you hop out when you get out on your bike you have to do a big climb just to get <laughs> outside I the get door. About
0: a, a minute or two minute ride through the neighborhood and then straight up a 13 pitch so
1: yeah. Takes us an hour to get out there from Toronto just to get the the beautiful areas that uh, at Scotts In. But you'll be coming to the office, right? We're yeah, going to ride yeah, do a little more riding together, right? We're in the
0: office right now, so That's yeah, right. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah and, and so I, I'm really looking forward to, especially as we start to enter fall here and as the leaves are starting to change. I've I've heard nothing but good things on the quiet roads back there, so I'm looking forward to exploring that. Um, in terms of in terms of my training, I know uh, I've really enjoyed kind of. Uh, structuralist training uh, I really haven't had a, a target event to train for there's not a whole lot to train for these days so uh, most of my riding's just been kind of uh, get outside go ride for those critters go ride for that coffee and we show got um, workouts though yeah
1: so you're doing some you know some interesting workouts
0: yeah and I so, think
1: you know you know we, we don't talk much about Strava and you know the stuff that we we show on Strava I, I'm getting more followers but if you're out there be sure to follow Scott. You know, he's got some pretty interesting things that you'll see on his feed. And you'll get uh, a little bit of a foreshadowing of things meet to meet. come. Yeah. So uh, be sure to follow Scott and myself and Stephen and, you know, participate in some of the dialogue yeah. that goes on on Strava. Be sure to yeah.
0: follow Stephen so you can see his five-star difficulty rides that he posts.
1: Yeah, that he quotes about. Makes yeah.
0: you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can barely... You can yeah. barely handle 110 difficulty, and he's posting 160s all, all the time. Yeah. Uh, so.
2: Well, it's really like the extreme of the hit workouts, right? And I mean, in terms of my training, uh, like you, Scott, you know, I'm not re- obviously cross is not coming to Ontario or Western New York this year, so you know there hasn't been any kind of direct uh, kind of races that I've been targeting, but I've just been kind of ticking along and most of my rides have either been kind of endurance type, um, uh, rides just for fun and, and, or else I've been doing some mountain bike rides, which kind of naturally get some intensity in there and without really being, having any structure. And then, and then, uh, when I really want to hit out, then I go and go for the Rana or go for my new kind of cross simulation workouts. And, uh, those was a to get me a breakthrough and they're guaranteed to ramp the difficulty score up. So, so that's been my kind of riding and training over the last really summer and into the fall also.
1: Well, you know, you talk about cyclocross training, you know, looking at, uh, you know, we're, we're in the final few days here of the Tour de France and, you know, I was going to say, um, yeah, you, you you you, uh, you you called it right with the Strata Bianchi <laughs> in the last epi- episode, right? So mm-hmm. Aert, I, I wasn't
2: going to raise that, but yeah, sure, I'll claim, I'll uh, remind you all. And, but uh, you know, uh, but, claim but, my credit.
1: But you know, this all comes together, right? Because you've got Woke Van Ert and you know Matthew Van Der Poel who are doing amazing things. Van Aert in the in, in the Tour de France has been absolutely incredible. The whole team's been fantastic, but mm-hmm. certainly some outstanding efforts from Woke Van Aert and you know, they're, they're cyclocrossers. So there's something there, right? There's something about the type of training that you're describing there, Steven, and somehow the added difficulty and the added XSS. And if you keep doing those, you're going to be, you're going to be, a, um, you know, is this all around, pretty good, all around all around, or like, you know, does everything and... and not just all around, but it does, you know, at, at a very high level. So whether that's sprinting or uh, climbing or um, you know, you know, a one day's classics, you know, just fantastic performance from, from Van Ayr. So, uh, pretty amazed. I haven't
0: taken up, uh, Steven yet on his offer to, to try racing with them sometime, but maybe I'll have to do that next year. now.
2: <laughs> yep. Uh, it's uh cyclocross. We'll be coming back sometime.
0: Uh, all right. All well, right. I know I'm, uh, I'm rearing to get going here. So, uh, I think the, the articles that we're going to be presenting today, uh, hopefully we're going to give you enough detail that you kind of understand where they're coming from. But uh, we'll try not to bog you down with too many details. And we'll try and keep it uh, light for you. So if you're working out right now, or if you're, uh, if you're working, or if you're cooking right now, you won't need to sit and Mm -hmm. think too hard for uh, while you listen. But uh, what I really wanted to start with today is, um, is really this, this whole idea of why we have these mathematical models, like why have we why do we care what W prime is and what MPA is and FTP is? And, and so I think uh, what's kind of important to recognize is that uh, you can do these physiological tests. So you can do a VO2 max test, you can do blood lactate testing, but a lot of these are rather invasive, they're expensive. You've got to go to a lab to do them. They take away from training time. And, and so I think over the years, a lot of people have recognized the importance or the, at least the value of trying to understand some of that uh, understand some of that physiology and how our how our bodies how our muscles are working really without needing to do those invasive tests and so that's where you have people uh, like 100 years ago you've got A.V. Hill that's looking at running performance uh, and he, and he's noticing hey, that generally the shorter the race is so the 400 the 800s are done at a much higher intensity than the 5k or the 10k and so we've gone a long ways in 100 years from just merely observing that relationship to now what we have with exert where we can kind of plot in real time and see exactly how much power you can generate we know what your time to exhaustion is at certain powers and, and i think that's something that's really remarkable that we've done well you yeah know, so I,
2: it, it really kind of started with with av hill and it was an observational study where he looked at at uh kind of the world record performances of the time and tracked it from again 400 meters 800 meters a mile Onwards, And he noticed that there was this kind of seemingly hyperbolic type relationship. And it's completely intuitive, right? If we ask you to run a hundred meter sprint or run a marathon, you know, your pacing is going to be different. How you, how you start and how you pace yourself is going to be completely different. You're not going to run a marathon at a hundred meter kind of pace. So AV Hill was really the first to kind of, in a way, quantify that. And to and to plot that systematically. Uh, notably, not only did he look at this in in um, humans, he also looked at them in in uh, comparative form in animals. So he also looked at at uh, racehorses, I believe, in a parallel study, looking at what is the top kind of quarter mile speed and what is the top kind of one and a quarter, however long running or uh, horse races are. So he noticed the same relationship across multiple species. So you know that really led to the idea that hmm, there's something there. There is something systematic about how long you can work versus how uh, how hard you can you can uh, perform that work at.
1: Yeah, you know, and it, and and then you know we we jump ahead to Monad Sherer in, in uh, 1964 with their research. Um, And so they recognize this kind of this kind of relationship, but they thought they would attempt to quantify it. So Mm -hmm. they created, you know, these tests for, you know, single muscle groups um, and actually measured through work performed Mm -hmm. um, kind of how long certain efforts could be sustained. And to me, that would this is, you know, this relates to exert in a lot of a lot of ways. It's 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 pretty incredible what they found what they found was a clear simple relationship between how much work you can perform and how long you can sustain it for in fact it's a totally linear relationship um, that's really phenomenal if you really think about it right um, anyone who studies physiology understands the complexities that's happening inside the body um, and you know all of the different systems that are in, that, that contribute to the production of power and the performance of exercise, and to come out and say, "Yes, all that complexity all boils down into a really simple linear mathematical relationship, and that it's, if we can use this to even predict the outcome um, that to me was just just an incredible discovery mm-hmm. right to think that a mathematical model of that simplicity could represent and accurately predict
2: what can be done
1: in, in terms of exercise.
0: Yeah, and but
2: it's think... always been the holy grail, right, of trying to be able to predict performance, whether you are, you know, an athlete planning your marathon running pace or, you know, planning an hour record or or just, you know, again, what we end up being able to do with our segment hunter, being able to plot your kind of optimal performance over your over a particular segment so that that really is the kind of the holy grail in in sports science and you know one way to model that is to you know kind of work from first principles and come up with you know this is kind of how the glycolytic system is working this is how the oxidative system is working this is how kind of the fuel availability maybe kind of in the muscle. this is the mix of carbohydrates versus versus, um, fats that are being used and come up with lots of kind of models of how that physiology can work. But, you know, the challenge with that is all of those things interplay quite differently if you're going for a one-minute max effort versus a four-minute max effort. So if you think you're a kilometer rider on the track versus a pursuit rider... Mm -hmm. You know, kind of the cause of fatigue, and your limits to work may be quite different physiologically. So it becomes really complex to model from kind of that first principles of physiology, whereas one of the powers of exert is being able to say, you know, I'm based on these kind of linear relationships of work and time that you know, we can predict, you know, the actual reason you you uh, fatigue and can't work harder may be slightly different in terms of the actual physiological underpinnings, but the end result is the same that you cannot work harder. You I'm know,
1: sorry. And I think that's the fascinating part that I found with this whole process. And I think a lot of our users also find it really fascinating that all of, all of this can be boiled down into simple three numbers that predict Kind of power output intermittently with MPA, that's, you know, um, it's pretty phenomenal that all that complexity kind of boils down to that level. And so I think, um, I think there's a fascination there from my part. I think there's a fascination for a lot of our users with that um, and that it's, um, it's been, you know, in some ways, you know, the way I've come at this, looking at it like an engineer does not like a like a physiologist. I'm sure if a physiologist would attempt to do what we've done, it would be daunting because you're just a, you know, you're just trying to think about all the factors that in, are involved in this. Aerobic metabolism
0: anaerobic. Oh, metabolism, yeah, and you you'll, you'll, and you'll a- just like you'll just things. throw up
1: your arms going, this is impossible. How could we possibly, you know, model Explain all of this?
0: All. Yeah,
1: and, and create a mathematical model of this. And so if you come at it from that angle, I think it's really, really difficult. Whereas if you just simply look at the data and think that there's some simple principles. So if so the monad sharer said, you know, this is a simple model, well, you know, how do we, how do we extend that? And, and, you know, where, where can we apply this? And is there other simple models that really apply to, to how we perform exercise? And, and incredibly that there are, like, there are simplifications exert is a simplification of the complexity of, of physiology into a way that we can use it to determine NPA and we can use it for training prescription and, and strain and all the things we have in exert. This, this, this It's a simplification of a very complex process, right? And it just seems to work in terms of its, its effectiveness. So I think we're all surprised by that. I think we're all in, in, in somewhat amazement that that all this complexity can all be summarized in, you know, in kind of this simplistic form.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to circle back on one, one thing here. And so Minot and Share is really where all the, this critical power and anaerobic work capacity, this is really the birthplace of where it is. And, and what I found really interesting, like the first time I read this paper, they did define critical power. And so they defined it as the maximum rate that a muscle can keep up with or keep up for a very long time without fatigue and something that they uniquely specified is that it depends only on the local factors of the muscle and so a lot of times people think well i can't hold my FTP for two hours or uh, i can't hold ltp for four hours well your muscle can it's a lot of times limitations outside of the muscle so it's muscle glycogen muscle glycogen it's uh, oxygen delivery or, or even as simple as like you got bored and you just want to get off the bike so uh, which is I think something that's important to keep in mind moving forward is that all these these justifications for why fatigue happens it's unique to the muscle itself and not necessarily because you were bored or it it, it was mentally too taxing for you mm-hmm. but really Minot and Cher really kicked it off in 1964 this is really where a, a lot of the modeling uh, really started,
1: but it wasn't with cycling, right? So that was a single. No, that was all.
0: Uh, that wasn't until actually 1981. Uh, so we have a study by Moritani and colleagues who actually took this finding from uh, from Monod and Cher and and they wanted to extend it. They're like, oh, this is a really cool simple relationship. And so the, pretty much this entire study boiled down to, okay, does this relationship that exists for the biceps or the quadriceps. For these limited muscle systems do they extend to the whole body exercise and they found a, a reassuring yes that hey if we do these work tests to exhaustion at these different powers and then we plot how much work they do over time we see the same linear relationship we see this critical power we see this form of anaerobic reserve here mm-hmm. like the same relationship that we see in small muscles also applies to the
1: whole body and again so that brings us back to this you know we've got this hugely complex process of not just one muscle, but of many muscles all
0: interacting at the same time and that the same principles apply. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this study is uh, even, it, it's not even the end of it. This is, this work is extended. It's now done in running. There's a lot of people that have the stride running power meters. Uh, so they validated that CP is also present in running. It's present in rowing, like pretty much any whole body This This concept holds true, which I think Uh, It's rather interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind
2: of funny that, you know, we started with A.V. Hill with this kind of exponential or kind of hyperbolic type of relationship. And then then a monoton share, in a way, kind of to use a current pun, they flattened the curve and made it Mm -hmm. into a linear Mm -hmm. relationship. And then Moritani, you know, kind of again through the calculations and brought it back into kind of in a way matching what kind of in a way matching what uh what av hill originally came up with this idea of this hyperbolic relationship between power and time
0: yeah exactly sorry i, think I
2: had to use the pun in there i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry
0: well i think it's very intuitive that they rearrange it back into the hyperbole just because as a cyclist when when you're thinking about doing your intervals or your time trials you're not thinking how much work can i do in 20 minutes you just don't think that way You want to think, okay, what's the, what's the highest power I can hold for five minutes or what's the highest power I can hold for 20 minutes. And that's, uh, that's really another key aspect of this Moritani paper is they, they rearrange this linear relationship into its hyperbolic form. And they showed actually then that you can, you can estimate at what point somebody's going to fail at a given power output. If you know what their CP and their W prime.
1: Yeah. So this is where the whole concept of anaerobic work capacity and CP and W prime, and ultimately, it was a model to help predict how long a, a particular work rate could be sustained. So if we knew that, you know, you're, you're able to, to hold 500 watts for two minutes and 400 watts for, you know, 10 minutes, then we can use that information to help predict how long you could sustain a number of different intensities because that boiled down into your critical power and, you, and your, and your W-prime. So that model that and the and the linearity of the work performed was there, and that's really what was used to establish uh, this model. And the effectiveness of the model was really, you know, it's, it, again, it was pretty, pretty, um, pretty uh, uh, incredible what they were able to achieve with some simple math. Um, but I'll just add though that there's also some aspects that that I wasn't until we, we get into the work from Hugh Morton where there was some recognition of potential uh, limitations of this model. And so one of the limitations that everyone's aware of who uses the exert kind of knows that, that this capacity that you have isn't fixed, isn't the same amount. You can't say that you know, once i have exhausted at 500 watts, that all my capacity is exhausted. So that's what the current CPW prime model does, but we we anyone who uses it understands that that's not necessarily the case. What happens is that the point of failure at 500 watts, you're simply unable to produce 500 watts. Okay. You still have capacity above threshold. You still have capacity. So you can't use this kind of work, this kind of effort to failure and establish your CPW prime because we know that that's that w prime that those numbers aren't going to represent all the work that you can do above threshold so in there's a residual, residual there's a residual capacity and it, it doesn't account for that residual capacity so this is one of the sort of the limitations i think hugh morton in his studies recognized that there was a potential for kind of uh, residual capacity when it came to the awc and w prime and i think it's that It's actually, it's a small number. So we're looking at residual capacity. It isn't like it's, it's It's not huge. huge. It's not huge, but it's, it's material to the determination of your, of the amount of work you can perform above threshold. And if you don't account for that, then you start running into challenges with the model because it's not going to properly account for the actual amount of capacity that you have above your threshold is, is there's potential errors that are going to creep into that model because it's, it's assuming that it's fixed at every intensity.
2: And, and in a basic nutshell, I mean, that's what Scott is working on with his masters is to kind of in a way uh, model uh, this residual capacity, kind of prove that it, it exists, model it, and kind of really follow up from kind of this first ideas posed by Morton.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so we want to see, uh, we talked about a residual capacity, but uh, what's interesting is, is that it, it's perceivable that this capacity is going to be different, this residual capacity is going to be different depending on what intensity you fail at. And so if you fail at six or 700 watts, you're going to, because you're at six or 700 watts and your threshold might be down at 300 watts, there's a huge gap between 600 watts and 300 watts. Versus, so it, it's perceivable that you have a much larger capacity there versus if, if you do a test at 350 watts and your threshold's at 300, you, by, the time that, by the time you've utilized most of your anaerobic work capacity and you failed at 350 watts, you're only 50 watts above your threshold at that point. And so that residual, perceivably, would be rather small. So this
1: is, And it's the same reason why, if you look at the CPW prime model as a two-parameter model, that it kind of breaks down once you start to try and model durations lower than about what? Two, two minutes?
0: Two minutes.
1: Yeah, and, and I think part of the reason is, is there's no, there's no concept of rate limiting process. So, so there's no MPA really that comes into play when you talk about that model. And so it's, it assumes that even at down to two minutes so you have that same capacity. Uh, and that, at that capacity can be, you can use any power output, to consume all that patent capacity available at any given time, so there's no limit at all, and I think I think that's kind of where um, where you know the the, the infinite uh, the infinite model that you see with CPW prime at any kind of you know as you as the as the durations get closer and closer to zero, that's where that the, the challenge lies, right? Because the amount of residual increases. As the durations lower and so and that's the reason why you can't actually produce infinite power at, at low at low durations
0: yeah, and so one way to think about this is if you have a w, if you've done these CPW prime tests and you have an a w prime of 20 kilojoules. It, according to the model, if you were to if you were to do that out over uh, over five seconds, if you did a five second sprint uh, as evenly paced as you could the model would predict that you could generate 4000 watts per second mm-hmm. which f- you, you can't do 4000 watts like you you might have a peak that's only 1500 or 1200 or 1000 watts
1: mpa is going to is going to is going to limit your ability to produce all and use up all that capacity
0: and so if you even though your w prime might be 20 kilojoules you might only be able to use a couple kilojoules of that before you're limited by mpa yeah and so that's really if, if you can kind of conceptualize that that's why what, what's so important what's so different about what's done with exert is you have this hie that gets used up but it's kind of hidden in the background it's it's limited by mpa and so you as you work above threshold you're tapping into that hie but you can never utilize all of it uh simply because we have that rate limiter that ends up it limits your ability to use all
1: of it. And every exerter you know, sees this, right? You look at your data, you see when you get your breakthrough. You see when MPA and power reach and touch each other. But it's not like all of a sudden you've got nothing left after that. You know, sometimes you're holding on to MPA over extended efforts. And we all, like we all see minutes
2: that. It's so in my case. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah.
1: you know, Some more than others, let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, but that's kind of what
0: we all see directly in front of our eyes when we look at exert. Yeah, I mean There's, you're not a light switch. Like when you when you get that breakthrough point, uh, it, it's very easy to stop pedaling. But you c- you know inside that you, you can get that breakthrough and you can. Uh, a lot of times when I get my breakthrough, I stand up and I sprint and I see that breakthrough and I know that I I, I sit back down and I can keep pedaling. I'm still working above the threshold, but I, I'm still I'm i limited by that MPA. Right. Uh, and so that's something that, that CPW prime uh, and as we'll see in a little bit W prime balance they, they can't rectify that they they assume that once you you've you've used that anaerobic capacity they just say you're done you can ride at critical power, but yeah. we just know intuitively you, you you're not a light switch you can't just go from 500 watts and then and then suddenly only produce whatever, 300
1: watts or whatever your threshold is. Right, and so so now we're getting into kind of the next piece of research that I think is relevant to this whole discussion is the one from uh, Dr. Phil Skiba, where they're modeling the expenditure and reconstitution and work capacity. So this is where we're moving from looking at kind of a test, the CPW prime testing, where you're gonna perform multiple tests to failure Here is where we're looking to model how much capacity w prime is available intermittently so so uh, dr skiba created um, these various protocols to try and measure and establish how the w prime was used depleted and how it reconstituted over 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 this kind of variable intermittent exercise
0: which i think is i mean this is a this is a groundbreaking study for the time like nobody really they could see and try and calculate exactly how much you had in the tank, so to speak, right. Via this use of W prime bell. So uh, it, it re- a remarkable study uh, uh, for what they were able to accomplish at this time.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if you look back at the timing of that 2012, that's kind of where exerts really was born. Like the original models that I worked on in some ways were um, an attempt to look at, this kind of intermittent fatigue, to explain kind of how the heart rate was responding to exercise. So that was originally the work that I had done. I was more of an effort of curiosity to see how I I could model the actual heart rate variation with exercise. Um, And in fact, the the model, and I think we mentioned this before, the model for MPA um, preceded any kind of power duration models that we had. So if you think about what we what, we, what was done, it was, okay, if we can if we can somehow establish some fatigue, how does that fatigue impact this kind of relationship with the with the heart rate? And we came up with this concept of MPA, which was an intermittent value that was kind of established, and then we looked at and saw that it actually worked quite well within the modeling that I was doing. And MPA was initially started as an intermittent. So we basically said, okay. Let's look at how much work capacity you have. Let's convert that work capacity rather than just the amount of capacity. Let's convert it into MPA. Can we establish how much power you actually have? Because that power, how much you have, is going to help explain how the heart rate responds. And it worked. And so that was the sort of where the, the, the mathematical nature of MPA sort of came to be. And it was only after the establishment of that intermittent MPA value that we thought well okay well how do we use this to predict you know your 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 power curve how do we establish how do we know how long you can sustain a given effort
0: i think it's something that that's important to recognize here for a lot of our listeners is is what's different about exert and what's especially the, the power duration curve is that exert isn't tracking like a lot of these other systems that are tracking cpw prime they're keeping track of your five minute power, your 20 minute power, your one minute power. They're using those parameters to fit the model using your historical data. But what's different with Exert is we're, we're actually, we, we don't care what your f- highest five minute power was. We don't care what your 20 minute power was. We care what your MPA was relative to the power you're producing. Uh, and, and from there, we can derive the fitness signature. And so I think that's where you're going with now we can work backwards so instead of taking your historical data and fitting a curve to it we can we can take your signature and work backwards to create what your polarization can be yeah so
1: that's an important concept here to appreciate because you know we've gone from cp cpw prime w prime val and you think okay now the next evolution is is mpa and it, it is in some ways a kind of a the next step in that process is to take the kind of amount of capacity you have intermittently and establish an MPA value. But that's not where MPA came from. So MPA kind of precedes all that. And that then we use, we were able to use MPA to say, well, what are the conditions that drive the power duration curve? So if you think about what that means, it says, okay, if I'm going to hold on 500 Watts, and I'm gonna hold on to 500 watts to failure, that failure point isn't, I've used up all my HIE or my W prime. That failure point is when my MPA is 500. So let's calculate that. So when you calculate this kind of fixed intensity to failure, where MPA and power eventually become equal, and you calculate those across all durations, lo and behold, you get a power curve. And you get a power curve that actually models what you can perform from zero all the way out to whatever, an hour, right? So you've got a full power curve, not one that's restricted to just, you know, two minutes and up, right, which is where CPW prime kind of works well. You have a power curve that really applies across the entire spectrum.
2: Yeah, so in a way, a lot of I mean, what Exert is built on is almost like reverse engineering what you are doing, right? It's uh, we talked, I talked earlier before that, you know, one way to model is to you know figure out the physiology and then kind of model all of the individual physiology and then kind of come up with something. Whereas again, with Exert, we're really modeling this is what you are doing kind of right now, and you know you this is your MPA, this is your, your current power output, and then be able to kind of, as Armando says, reverse engineer what you are actually truly capable of as a result.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that really summarizes what what I wanted to, to cover today, at least in terms of like, how we started from kind of what A.V. Hill had done in, in his observational study to Kind of working forward to different ways that we've modeled performance and and how kind of exert has has kind of continued on that development and and how we how we now arrive at your power duration curve using the fitness signature and mpa rather than using constant power efforts to failure mm-hmm. uh, And so that really summarizes that that first section
1: actually i wanted to make one point and i forgot about this and i think i just want to quickly just jump in and make one one last point because it's something that you, you often will see, and you, you'll hear about this when you start looking at the W prime and the CP W prime models. Um, if you start to apply this intermittent model, it will inevitably, probably 100 percent of the time end up with a what's called a negative W prime value. In other words, if you apply the current model without the constraint of MPA. So if you just apply the current W prime CPW prime models without the constraint of NPA, you will inevitably every single time see a a negative W prime value. And the reason why that must be true mathematically is because the W prime has been calculated to say that you have a fixed capacity and that that capacity is zero at the point of failure. So at the point of failure at 500 watts, that capacity is zero. Everyone that knows the uses of Exert knows that's not true. You still have capacity when you fail at 500 watts. There is residual capacity. That residual capacity will make the W-prime valve model go negative. That's what it does. It's why you have some left. So that's the, I just wanna make that the last point because I think, um, I think it's really relevant to the people that, that are the users that are, are on Exert to understand Kind of how it's working and and how it's going to be different than if you're going to use the the standard kind of CPW prime W prime VAL models that that are in use in in, in, in by you know others in, in the community.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's I know there's a couple like Garmin Connect IQ apps where you can install like a little W prime bell W prime bell uh, equation mm-hmm. and f- put your data in there. But like you said, it's it it's definitely possible to, to make that thing go negative. And even within the original article, the author stated that whenever you're in uh, one and a half kilojoules of W prime balance, they say you're at, you're at risk of, uh, uh, mm-hmm. of exhaustion. And so yep. uh, there's even a little bit of ambiguity uh, within, within the published paper itself. So mm-hmm. that is something that's important to keep in mind and, and that it's important to have that, that, that rate limiter MPA.
1: Yeah, and the other, the other thing to keep in, in consideration is that because of that that limitation, it, it you're, then there's a propensity to start adding additional parameters into this model. Whether there's a different time constants that get introduced to try and account for that limitation, and I, I don't know, haven't looked into the math behind it deep enough to understand where the, where the where the discrepancy might lie but that raises some questions whether there's a need. We don't have any time constants of recovery and exert. We have three numbers. That's all we have. We don't introduce any other numbers into this process. And we're able to predict intermittent MPA with those three numbers. Again, back to that incredible nature of physiology that all all of the systems kind of add up in this kind of really simple and elegant way um You know there is no need for more numbers or for more parameters in this process
2: yeah, and that's where Skiba's paper kind of really left off. The big advance was kind of taking that taking that kind of performance modeling to intermittent exercise and and also starting down the path of trying to figure out how to how to uh, kind of calculate w prime during recovery and its reconstitution but again there their approach and their outcome was all of these individual kind of parameters and, and, uh, which again, just makes things very complex because it can be a different parameter for a different population or a different kind of intensity of exercise. Whereas again, with our model, it's as Armando says, it's three numbers that drive everything along with, you know, with MPA and also with all the reconstitution of, of uh, recovery and recovery of mpa
1: and you know and i think that's the as we move into sort of the next phase of our our podcast and part of our discussion we talk about training um that's one of the things that um because of the simplicity of the three models sorry the three parameters and the calculations that we're able to accurately use the math to use them for workouts and reason use them for target MPA based workouts. You know exactly how long it takes you to recover and how long it takes you, how long you can sustain different efforts at different varying levels of fatigue. There's the mathematical simplicity of the three parameter model that allows us to make these calculations. Not only can we make these calculations in the preparation of these workouts, but we can make them on the fly as you're performing them. So that's the, the other aspect that's really quite unique and powerful is that when you're performing these workouts and these workouts adjust to your performance whether that's a segment hunter or a workout uh, workout uh, smart interval that the the simplicity of the model is driving that i think if we had all these additional parameters the math would get very very complex to be able to it's already complex as it is Mm -hmm. but we're lucky that we've only got three parameters to have to contend with And, and, and again, it allows us to do some pretty, um, some pretty amazing things when it comes to modeling your, your ability in your, your, your intervals that you perform during workouts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of intervals, uh, I did want to shift gears a little bit. So we, we were talking originally at the start of this podcast, we're talking about modeling uh, kind of your performance and and how we've gone forth with doing that. But uh, really the second part of this podcast, we want to talk about uh, really what, what uh, Dr. Chang alluded to earlier, where we're looking at this relationship between work intervals and between rest intervals and, and how intense do they need to be and how long do they need to be. And, and so uh, I think what's, uh, what, what's kind of cool with exert is, is um, I, I don't know if anybody has yet, but uh, use our workout designer and you, you can actually play with and, and see uh, you can enter different workouts and see what's, what's the low XSS, what's the high XSS, what's the, peak, what's the total XSS, what's the focus. Um, and that's something that we've actually sat down and we've, we've looked at some of these peer-reviewed papers and we want to see if we can try and explain, well, they found this, so how, how can our math kind of explain why they might have seen that? And so th- the first paper that I, that I wanted to, to bring up with this is actually Siler's classic 2013 paper, uh, which it was adaptations uh, to aerobic interval training. And in this study it's, I mean, everybody's gotta know what this study is by now, but he was uh, looking at essentially uh, cyclists that are performing uh, seven weeks of HIIT training uh, and he has a low intensity control. And then he has three groups that did high intensity, uh, a group that did four by four minute intervals, a group that did four by eight minute intervals, and a group that did four by 16 minute intervals. And at the end of the seven weeks, they tested them and they wanted to see who improved the most. And, and what he found was that the four by eights ended up seeing the largest improvements in VO2 the max, their power at four millimole lactate or roughly their, their threshold power, uh, their, their time to exhaustion at 80% of that also increased. Uh, and so uh, the result of the study is like, hey, the four by eight is you know, of these three workouts is, is the, the best one that you
1: should be doing. So, you know, when we when we first looked at modeling, so we've modeled MPA and then we thought, well, we have MPA. How do we measure how much training strain is associated with the work that you're performing? So how do we translate translate the MPA into actually some kind of training metric? That's where we came. That's where the the uh, the the, uh, um, the metric XSS exert uh, strain score came to be, which was an, a, it's kind of like a relative performance to MPA. The closer you perform to MPA, the more strain. And so, so we came up with this concept. We 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 quantified it through our modeling. We we established that that certain the certain math worked really really well in explaining this this value. And so we thought we'd apply it to this this study and see what would happen. Well, amazingly, what we were able to determine is that when we apply the XSS calculations to these three, the four by four, four by eight, and four by 16, using the original protocols that were were defined, as well as we could match them anyway, because they were RPE based, they weren't power based. So a little bit of a translation there, but when we translated them, that we too saw that the four by eights generated the greatest amount of XSS. So if you think about more XSS being more training value, that there was a um, there that exert kind of matched the results of that study. So that was really promising at the time. To think, wow, okay, so this XSS thing that we've come up with this math seems to work within this scenario. And so that was a pretty promising outcome. And, we, and, and, and so that's one of the things that we think is kind of unique about EXERT is that, is that it's able to give and quantify kind of how we can compare different types of workouts and their intervals with each other, mm-hmm. right? So, so one of the things that, that EXERT says is that there, there isn't really anything special per se about the different intervals. So like the four by fours and four by eights and the four by 16s in the Siler study, that there isn't really anything inherently special about the four by eights, in the sense that you could do like a seven by four and get more XSS. You could do another type of workout and get more XSS and, and an exert would say, the more XSS you get, the greater the benefit you'll get from that training. So that's the way exert kind of explains these that um, that isn't necessarily something that you'll, you'll garner from that research result. That research result basically says that if you're going to, you got these three types of intervals, you're going to do that. The best of the three would be the four by eight, but it doesn't mean that the four by eight is the best workout you could do. You could get more XSS, more training value, doing something else. So, so that's one of the things to keep in mind. I know a lot of people will say, Hey, you know, I'm just going to do four by eights. You know, if I just do four by eights, I'll be a strong. I'll be. I'll, I'll have the best training I can get. Meanwhile, you know, you can exert would say, well, yeah, there's probably other training you could do to get you more excess if you're capable of doing that, and that, you know, we would expect to result in greater improvements.
2: Mm-hmm. And then also the other thing that wasn't calculated at the time of the Siler 2013 study, but is. Now kind of being calculated by quite a number of different studies and kind of quantifying kind of the effectiveness of a of a workout or a type of workout is the time spent at 90% VO2 max or above. So they're they're kind of getting to that same idea of more, you're just spending more time at more strain. Like why does VO2 max increase more with the four by eights? You know, again, a lot of A lot of studies are now saying, you know, it's because they spend, ultimately there's more time spent at 90% VO2 max or above, which if you look at it from exert is really, you know, a similar idea of just saying you, there's just more strain involved. You're close to MPA. Yeah.
1: Like the lower your MPA kind of goes, the higher your VO2 as a result.
2: Yeah, but certainly as kind of in the scientific literature now, uh, a lot of kind of studies are kind of in the results section. They're saying, well, like in this study, they are spending, or kind of in this work, workout versus that workout, they're spending more time at kind of 90% VO2 max or above. And therefore, kind of in a sense, it's more effective. So it's very analogous to what we are naturally doing with XSS
0: Exactly. And I, I feel like we couldn't have a a podcast on the science of exert without including the, the classic twenty fifteen. Uh, perhaps Steven's favorite workout of all. Uh, the class well, apparently workout. it's not his favorite anymore. Oh.
2: Well, it's it's one of two now. But you know, we <laughs> got to shared Whoa, the title. Okay, okay, okay. Well you have a timer
1: to you have now. to explain yourself, Stephen.
2: Yeah. But this Ronostat study, uh, again, you've kind of heard about it in every single podcast. And what, what Ben did was looking at the efficacy of, again, different type of workouts. And he had a kind of a lower intensity, six minute, sorry, five minute effort uh, versus these efforts where they were going at 30 second on 15 second off and the overall set was nine and a half minutes. So the total work time kind of at high intensity was, um, was very similar. It was 19.5 minutes with the 30 on 15 off and 20 minutes with the, with the five minute intervals. So he was really looking at, you know, is a high intensity, high, high intensity interval workout better or worse than, than a kind of a more sustained, longer effort.
0: Yeah, so and, and as and best so as
2: possible, we tried to match the, match the kind of overall work done by both in terms of time.
0: Yeah, so in terms of time, they spent the, the short interval group and the long interval group worked for almost the same amount of time. And because this was an effort match, not a, not a work match study, they told them basically do, go as hard as you can for, for that amount of time. And they basically wanted to look, okay, do did the, did these short intervals work better? Do the long intervals work better? And uh, unsurprisingly, they, they found that these short intervals induce superior adaptations versus these longer intervals. And uh, really the, their justification was, as Stephen had just mentioned, that their two to one work rate to rest ratio allowed them to induce a high amount of time above 90% of 0 2 max versus these longer intervals where they might get above 90% of vo UH max, but it might take them two, two and a half, three minutes to get there, and so they're accumulating far less time.
1: Well, and that's you know one of the fundamental principles that that you know XSS kind of uses. That I think is part of all training is that you use fatigue to accelerate the benefits. So that's the reason why you do repetitive intervals. That's the reason why. Um, Uh, you generate that fatigue and it's the process of generating that fatigue and the performance of intervals under fatigue is what accelerates it. So if you just did intervals without ever generating fatigue, you could do the same number of intervals, but you won't get the same benefit. And, and, and exert says that it says the XSS is higher when they're done under fatigue. So if you look at the Ronstadt workout, if you look at your MPA, what happens MPA comes right down and that, You're holding it down as you're recovering and doing more intervals. And so the idea is you really want to drive as much work as you can do under the greatest amount of fatigue. And if you're able to achieve that, then you're going to get the highest XSS scores. And in the same vein, you're spending more time closer to your max in that process. So it's one and the same. The greater the XSS is the more time you're spending close to your your MPA.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you do run a stat kind of fully, I know when I do it, it's nine and a half minutes and by about six minutes into it, my, my um, MPA is pretty drained and down close to my power kind of throughout the remaining three and a half minutes. So you can look at all of that time. I'm accumulating a ton of strain, a ton of difficulty score and, and uh, kind of, because I'm under so much fatigue. Whereas if I was doing, again, if I was doing Ronestad's uh, 2015 study in those five minute intervals and I was doing them all out, I would just be touching the, um, where my MPA and my power would be matching almost just right at the end. Nice. So it would, the time under very, very high level of fatigue would only be just that tiny little bit near the end. And you would end up with a lot lower uh, difficulty, and also a lot lower XSS at the end. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: so uh, we'll get into a little bit more of, of kind of even if even if work performed is the same between intervals, we're going to see in a little bit how mm-hmm. how that work is performed matters so much. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in a little bit. One one note that I did uh, have as I was going through the study, and I think is kind of cool, is. Is they kind of hypothesized that this short interval study in uh, the short interval intervention, in addition to them working at higher power outputs because the intervals are shorter, uh, they have these acceleration phases. And so their hypothesis was that this uh, the higher power output and these accelerations are actually causing a larger stimulus. And so, what I thought was important to note is that perhaps it's not the uh, or, or how exert can kind of help explain this is if you l- were to look at the, the focus score. Uh, and so not only are we tracking XSS, but how, how you're accumulating that XSS also matters. So are you accumulating XSS only on your low system, or are you also able to induce strain on that high and on that peak system? And so that, that was something else that I thought was rather interesting about this study and kind of about as we, as we think about what are the effective workouts as a whole is is not only what is the XSS, but kind of how it's distributed as well, which is going to be affected by the, the duration and the intensity of, of the, the work and recovery.
1: Well, you know, and I think that's where it's really hard to to discern in your in regular research because it's difficult to create all the different possible scenarios. So if you think about, you know, uh, we're going to test 4 by 4s or 4 by 8s so Well, the 4 by 4s are at higher intensity right? By definition, because they were done to, to failure. They were done in four, over four minutes rather than eight minutes. So they were done at higher intensity. Exert would say, yeah, the XSS overall might be a little bit lower, but the focus is going to be different too, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is another aspect that this is another dimension that you're getting from Exert is how it's going to divide up the actual work that you're in the actual strain that you do um, across the different systems. And so it's not just to say, okay, there's greater XSS, Yes. And that overall and aggregated would be higher in one, in one workout than another. But the other thing to keep in mind is that sometimes you're looking, depending upon how you're trying to train or what you're trying to, tra- what you're trying to train, the intensity and the duration which you're gonna hold those intensities are gonna change the dynamics of the benefit. You might get more benefit towards, and everybody kind of knows this. So you wanna train your peak power system, right? that you're going to do sprints. Mm -hmm. Hello and behold, you know, you're, you want to increase your peak power. You, you, you do efforts close to peak power. That's how you generate the most strain. And so, and so that, you know, if you're going to look at comparison, you want to see which one is going to generate the most, the most, um, the most benefit. It's not just the amount of strain, but also the type of strain and how that gets applied to the different systems.
2: Yeah. And of course, like it's completely intuitive, right? You, if, If you're all you ever do are kind of time trials, you're never going to maximize your sprint capacity, uh, your, your absolute ability to sprint over like a hundred meters or at the end of race, because you're just not stressing that neuromuscular pathway. So similarly, kind of, in a sense, you can be doing all of the sprint workouts that you want and just, you know, um, track sprinter. You know, is simply not going to be able to ride a one-hour time trial to the best of their capacity because the mm. training is completely different. It's not right or wrong. It's also matched to kind of their their needs.
1: And so in what, what's really interesting about that is that people don't always think about that In it's kind of a, if you kind of flip it, and meaning that, okay, so if the time trialist is always doing like long, steady efforts and they're going to get a weaker peak power as a result, because they're not giving that any training, then the, the inverse of that is true as well, in the sense that the peak power that you have, isn't going to influence those long endurance efforts, right? Those, those are, those two concepts go hand in hand. So people talk about, you know, if I, if I train my peak power system, it's not going to help me aerobically. And that's, that's true. You know, exert says that it says, you know, you, you can train your peak power system and you can improve your peak power, but don't expect it to have any influence on your, on your ability to hold you'll say, you know, your 20 minute power. It's not gonna have that much influence. So exert accounts for that. You know, there's, there's this kind of this bi-directional principle that if you train one system, the other system doesn't get trained in the sense that other system isn't going to influence your performance of the other system. So if you, if, you, if you raise your peak power Again, don't expect that to have any influence on your ability to hold a longer duration. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So it really comes down to specificity at the end. It's not, I don't want the listeners to go away with thinking, yeah, like maximizing SSS is everything, right? There's also the other factors we've been talking yep. about is focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is your focus that you are training for the correct for your needs and your kind of what you are training for in terms of competition?
0: And that's not even to mention the difficulty. Because uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know, I, I know, I can't tolerate 164 difficulty like some people on this podcast. <laughs> I think I've done that once before. I think I, yeah. I think I almost died.
1: <laughs> and that's only when there's like other people around, you know, motivating you to go harder. So yeah. you know, yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's yeah. you know, getting um, getting those high difficulty scores is pretty. Uh, Difficult.
0: We'll we'll yeah. replace uh, the five stars with just a, a picture of Stephen <laughs> giving you a thumbs <laughs> exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, if definitely. you
2: break that, break over one hundred and fifty, just like a big big uh, cartoon of me.
0: Big China Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the last two papers that I wanted just to bring up today, I think bring up one more important exert concept that I that I think is important to discuss. Uh, and so I'll kind of briefly go through the two of them, but. The, the idea behind them is a, this idea of a fast start interval. And so we've talked about kind of, okay, the, the, work, the work interval and the recovery interval and how long do they need to be and in what intensity. Well, these, these next couple of papers went a step farther. Not only what intensity do they need to be, <clears throat> but what if we change the intensity of the interval as it's being performed? And so we have a, a study by uh, Bailey and colleagues. This is from Dr. Andrew Go- Jones group. Um, but they wanted to see, um, how pacing strategies, So either a fast start, they, they, they sprint and then it gets easier, uh, and even start. They just hold the same power the whole time or a slow start. They wanted to see how those influence kind of VO two kinetics, uh, during a three minute and a six minute interval. And so, uh, and what they found was that actually in the three minute interval, they found that when you start fast, so you, you start hard and you, the, the interval gets easier. They actually found that that resulted in significantly more time, as, as Stephen was saying before, that 90% VH matters. And so there is uh, at least evidence in the literature that's starting to suggest, hey, not only did they, they all perform the same amount of work. So not only does the, the, the work uh, matter, but how that work is performed also matters. And so this study was actually recently uh, sort of confirmed or, or, or revalidated uh, once again from Brent Ronstad's lab, uh, this year in 2020, it was published. And so what he wanted to do is very similar. He took some cross-country skiers. Now it's not cycling, but you can presume that these results would translate well to cyclists. Uh, but essentially they did just some five by five minute intervals with the same idea. One group started harder for a minute and a half and then did slightly easier for three and a half minutes. And the other group just did steady study five minutes the whole time through. And what he also found is that the group that started hard and then got easier, actually once again, accumulated more time above 90% of VO2 max. And so both of these studies are really starting to suggest that the strain on the body as measured through VO2 during that, uh, during that effort uh, was actually significantly higher when you alter how that work is performed by starting it hard. And so we actually have that modeled in exert. Yeah, so they,
1: that's the XSSR interval. So if you're familiar with some of the workouts that you'll see from exert, where you have these kind of intervals that start hard and they slope down, you know, there are workouts like closer, for example, where you get like a we, – we That's use, one of my favorites. Yeah, and we use this a lot in even our examples in the, in the, uh, in the blogs. We, you'll see that workout in, in, in how it compares to – like your typical five by five. But the principle that applies, and it's the same principle, we just looked at the math and say, well, the math says that if you, if you generate fatigue and then you do more work under fatigue, that you get more benefit. It's, you know, it's, 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 I think it's a fundamental principle that everyone can appreciate. It's kind of why you do kind of high intensity intervals because you generate fatigue, you do them under fatigue, you get, you, they make you stronger. And so we just we just mathematically do this. We just say, hey, okay, so let's. How hard can you go, and how long? How do we sustain a, a constant strain rate in, a, in the process of you fatiguing? And we said, okay, these would be kind of fun intervals to do, I'm sure, because they would they would start off hard, but then as you get tired and fatigued, they ease off. And so this is one of the key things that you'll find doing these intervals is that that you know you trust them to get easier and that you're able to complete them as the interval progresses.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's, they can be rather daunting. I know I've talked to a lot of users like, mm-hmm. Hey, you should try doing this work. Say, ah, it looks kind of hard, but I think uh, we're so familiar when you do these just straight level intervals. The, if you ever notice MPA, especially in a really hard one, you notice it comes down and it gets harder and harder and harder, the, the longer that interval gets. But what's interesting is with these these strain these constant strain rate intervals is we kind of flip that idea on its head and say okay instead of making the interval get progressively harder what if we start the interval hard and just keep it the same the same relative strain, strain. rate by decreasing the rate at which you work and so a lot of time I love the closer workout it's probably one of my favorite workouts in the entire library but. I always, I always think that that first two minute mark is really, you really got to dig deep those first two minutes, but I always, I always tell myself, I know if I can get through those first two minutes, it gets easier, and so it can be rather daunting when you see that workout the first time, but then you try it, and and instead of the interval continuing to get harder and harder and harder, you notice like, hey, like I just survived a really hard first minute where my average power might have been incredibly high, but Hey, every second, this interval is getting a little bit easier and a little bit easier, and I can do this. So I think it's yeah. I like closer.
2: I also like uh, gasoline because it's an eight-minute interval, but there's kind of four bumps into that. So it's an XSSR decreasing, and then two minutes in, it ramps up a little bit again, and then gradually you know, decays again, bumps up, decays, bumps up, decays. So you get you kind of at the end of kind of the minute 55 you're going like oh my god it's going to go up again but mm-hmm. you, uh, but it's, it's, i guess i i just like pushing myself so that's why I, I actually really like the gasoline one because it it forces a little me. harder
1: actually yeah because it yeah. just keeps it never just gets easier it just keeps does, you know, that, you, does that surprise you from him no you? no <laughs> but yeah. um but yeah, but that's I think that's one of the things that people should should recognize. And so especially if you come from an environment where you get these kind of flat intervals, and, and they're easy at first, and then they get harder, and then like you just want to stop, you just want like you want them to end. And, and and in fact, you really motivate it to bend. at some point, if it's just too much for you, it takes a lot of motivation uh, to kind of complete them. And I think it feels good oftentimes to get through those intervals. So there's this process of of you know going through. But if if you end up abandoning a, a, a workout, that's not a good thing. You're not you know you're all dressed up, you're all ready to get your workout in, and you just you just not motivated to finish it. And so there, there's a, there's missed training time in that process. So anything that you can do where you can get the same amount of benefit of the workout without it without it kind of making you making it as making it hard, making it easier, that's just going to be it's going to promote you know, more completed workouts. If you're a coach, you know you're gonna get a bit more compliance as a result. You're gonna get more benefit as a result of that of that training. So so when you do these intervals, just there do these types of workouts, you can trust that process. It is going to get easier. You're gonna to want to kind of stop and then you're like, oh I can keep going. I want it to stop. Oh then it gets easier again. So every time you get the motivation to want to stop the interval, it just gets easier and you finish it. You're like, okay, I can do this again. And so just keep that in mind when you're, when you're doing these kinds of fast start XSSR intervals, they're, uh, they're very effective and, and they're interesting to do when you, Mm -hmm. when you actually do them.
0: Yeah, exactly. They
2: are, I find them much more interesting than just doing a straight box of ride at the steady effort for, for uh, you know, whatever, four minutes, eight minutes. I, I just can't handle that.
0: Based yeah. on your love for the Ronestads, the new 20-minute cross uh, effort, that doesn't mm-hmm. surprise me at all.
2: Yeah, but the uh, for those of you thinking like, "What's he talking about?" the new one, new one that I've been playing with a lot and I've had huge uh, success with in terms of really, uh, really doing guaranteed breakthroughs and guaranteed ridiculous difficulty scores. Is essentially it's a 20-minute. Cyclocross simulation—it's uh, still a thirty-second all-out effort, and and then uh, instead of a fifteen-second with the Ronestads, I go with about a minute, minute fifteen, but uh, at a higher recovery kind of wattage. So instead of with a Ronestad, my my recovery during those fifteen seconds might be averaging about one hundred and fifty watts. I'm now up at about 190 watts for a for about a minute so it's an overall 20 minute effort so it's longer and i just find them really really challenging in a slightly different way and the focus is also different the the xss i can obtain with one of these 20 minute efforts is uh, a lot more than I can with Aronistat, but also the focus is a little bit different. It's at a puncture level. It's at about four minute focus. Whereas with Aronistat one, it's at about a five minute uh, um, focus. So they are different, but you know, they're both ways I can really, really push myself. So I kind of mix it up now and do, do a bit of both whenever I want to do a hard breakthrough workout.
0: Yeah. And you're able to do those workouts on the road, right? You're not doing for the most part, you're not doing that on the trainer.
2: No, they're all done on the road right now. And but they're also quite easy to translate onto uh, the trainer when it's time.
0: Yeah. yeah, But I think the point that I'm getting at there is I think it's actually rather important that, uh, is that it, you can you can flex it and, and kind of make the the workout fit the road. And Uh, It doesn't need to be a rigid, like four by eight interval. You're not going out there and you're not trying to hold 300 watts for eight minutes. You're, I mean, if you do an action, you even said it like a minute to a minute 15, like there's inherent flexibility within this workout. And I think something that is really powerful with exert is it it gives you kind of that, that flexibility. Yeah. Yeah,
2: So you can, you Mm -hmm. can do really unique workouts with the kind of the um, recovery too and alter the amount of recovery and base your recovery to where your MPA is. So as an example, you can say, you know, I'm just going to ride and ride hard until I drain my MPA down to 600. And then I'm going to recover whether I kind of ride easy or ride harder. I'm going to recover until I hit an MPA of 900. And then I'm going to go again. So you can have a lot of flexibility just by using the MPA uh, tool in real time to, to uh, kind of adjust on the fly your workout so that it doesn't have to be a rigid, you have to ride at 150 watts for, you know, two minutes between intervals. And yeah, you can, you can do it on the road quite easily with just the MPA tool.
1: You know, and and I think that you can also be sensitive to the focus. So you're talking about how you can adjust the focus. So, you know, one one thing that you'll recognize when you start doing intervals or workouts with exert is that if you do higher intensity high the if the high intensity intervals higher. So you're describing, you know, your where you know, inter- intervals are a little slightly higher than what you typically do under Ronisat. Well, that's going to lower the focus, so the focus is going to go and and become a lower focus, but then the opposite kind of happens as well. The higher the intensity and recovery also lengthens the focus as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those the, the interval, the workouts you're describing, Stephen, kind of do a little bit of both because the intensity is higher and the recovery, you can extend because they're longer, right? So, you're doing them at a higher intensity, you're lengthening the, the focus in that process as well. So, if you mm-hmm. really want like a really short focus workout, well, Xero would say, you know, you do a higher intensity, shorter recoveries, shorter, easier recoveries. You keep the focus really low. You want a longer focus. Well, maybe the intensities might be a little bit lower, but if you extend the actual recovery at a higher intensity, do them very, very high, then you can get a much longer, a longer focus duration. So you can kind of manipulate it, you know, on your own, in fact, as you're doing these workouts, manipulate kind of where that focus, where you want that focus to be during that
0: Yes. And so I, I think in summary, what exert potentially offers moving forward is we can really start to tease apart in what makes the four by eight such a great workout. What makes the run such a great workout?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Not only because we're tracking how much strain you're accumulating, but once again, because we have that metric of focus, we can tell you how, how much strain you're accumulating and then where that strain is being directed. And so I think that allows a lot of flexibility with mm-hmm. users that, can test different workouts and coaches that can test different workouts and different recoveries and, uh, and so I think we've got a lot of great tools that can help start teasing apart what, what makes a good workout yeah you know and, and difficulty
2: that, too as uh, kind of a yeah. third potential parameter to uh, manipulate exactly
0: well one thing
1: that I would invite all the coaches or people in the sports science you know people who are familiar with their research is you know, use, familiarize yourself with the, with the tools, right? Familiarize yourself with the workout designer, uh, especially some of the advanced capabilities in the workout designer, and use it to validate your own ideas. So if you think, you know, these are the workouts that have been very effective for me and my athletes, if you implement those and then compare them to other workouts, you can start to look for explanations as to why EXERT would see the same apply to the training that you use. And I think a lot of the coaches that are using EXERT kind of do that with it. Like they actually go and will see how EXERT, is, its metrics are used to explain what they've been naturally recommending for their athletes through you know, years of, of understanding this process. And to see EXERT kind of help them Um, explain their decisions that they have made over the years and potentially improve them uh, right or improve them because once you you get that appreciation say look it looks looks like a is is actually mimicking what i would naturally do for my athletes and it's saying that that's the recommended approach that helps you gain confidence in what the system is doing and how it's going to help you with your athletes so so I invite you to kind of apply those within the, the, the kind of environment, see how well our system can match what you've naturally done uh, as best practice for your athletes. And if you're in sports science and you're, you're comparing different protocols, different interventions, look at exert say, how do those in- interventions, how is XSS affected? How is the focus affected by those, those interventions and how do I – how, how do I use that information to help me understand what's best for my athletes? So I, I think I certainly invite anyone that's familiar with any of these kind of research to to try it out. See see how well the system can help you with the uh, the stuff that you know is
0: going to work. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and I think uh, something else that I'll I'll just offer out too. If if there's any research articles that you find interesting or or might pertain to exert, feel free to share those with us. Whether it's just the title, the article, the authors—that sort of information—I think uh, I know myself. I'm very curious about that, and uh, I typically stand on top of a lot of these uh, papers. But I think if there's curiosity and, and perhaps what uh, some of these peer-reviewed studies have done, I think we want to take a look into that and potentially uh, see how their findings correlate with what we would find with exerctin. So. Well, that was so a fun. bit of a monster. Yeah, but I, I I think that one was overdue, and I was I was looking forward to that one. Uh, I think it's got a lot of good information in there. I think mm. people are really going to enjoy this one. Um, but really, just wrapping up what we've covered today. I, basically, we went through uh, with what A.V. Hill discovered oh, pretty much a hundred years ago, uh, and we we walked through how different. Uh, how this model has gone through many different iterations and kind of how we arrived with what we're doing here at Exert. Uh, and then we, we talked a little bit about how we can monitor in real time your ability to perform above threshold. And then we had a really good discussion at the end there talking about really teasing apart uh, what makes a good workout and what makes a good training regimen and, and how Exert can help potentially identify what makes uh, what makes a good workout or what's going to be a better workout for you. Mm-hmm. so yeah I think that's, that's, I think that's everything that I have. Is there any other comments from from either of you
1: no i i, I you know this is another one of those episodes that I've always looked looked forward to you know uh, as I was saying earlier, there's lots of curiosity about kind of the physiology behind all this, and I think there is it's uh, when you start to look at the modeling side of things, it's pretty amazing what some of these models are able to uh what they've achieved and how how much more we can. We can do with them, so it's uh, it's, it's fun to talk about this. Well,
0: topic. I I know from chatting about you before the podcast that I could talk all day about this. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad we were able to at least wrap it up at some point here. Excellent. Uh, is there anything else uh, yet that you'd like to add, Stephen?
2: Nope. I think we covered a lot, and uh, yeah. So if you need to kind of think through those ideas, some of those concepts that I think are really intuitive and we are just really able to implement them like we like we've talked about this idea that you can go um you can go hit 500 watts and you think you're fatigued but you know you're not completely fatigued right that is intuitive when you really think about it and exert is able to kind of accommodate for that all right yeah
0: well i'm looking forward to our next one already but yeah. Uh, i just want to say thanks everybody for tuning in uh i hope you really enjoyed this podcast and uh be sure to let us know if there's anything else that you'd like to hear in the future i know we've got plenty of ideas but we always want to we want to satisfy the uh the customers we want to make sure that uh we help uh can maybe explain things that might be confusing or or honestly just sit and chat and have good discussions and which really might be enlightening for a lot of our users so. yeah.
1: and i i do invite users to kind of uh check out our forum, check out the Facebook groups. I've been totally, I'll just mention, like there's some of the comments and the insight that we're starting to see from some of our users. It's just really, you know, it's amazing. You know, they're in many ways, they're discovering and explaining certain things. It's very similar to what we're talking about today in very specific and clear ways that even I, you know, haven't had a chance to really, uh, appreciate the kind of an insight that they 're gaining from the system, which is really fast which is really amazing the kinds of levels that some of our users are, are gaining and have attained with the system so uh, you guys know who you are out there uh, that's been uh, I, I love reading a lot of the comments that you guys are making on on Facebook and on our forum
0: yeah it 's awesome mm-hmm. well thanks everybody for tuning in, and we will see you next time
1: yeah bye for now ciao